Hey, it's Kevin O'Connor. Before we get to today's episode of The Mismatch, I wanted you to hear the trailer for The Ringer's new podcast. It's called The Cam Chronicles. It's about Cam Newton, NFL quarterback, and it's hosted by our staff writer, Tyler Ricky Tynes. Here's a clip. From The Ringer, I'm Tyler R. Tynes. When I spoke to NFL star Cam Newton in January, his mindset was clear. I my whole career to be in Charlotte. Cam won't be getting that wish. He was released by the Carolina Panthers in March. Cam is a complex figure, and my interest in him goes far beyond his exuberant smile and transcendent style of play. Cam broke the glass ceiling in American athletics, ascending to a place in the sport that few black quarterbacks have ever reached, making his fall that much more dramatic. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, reporters, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. I uncover contradictions at every turn. How can the hardest worker on the team be depicted as a bad leader? And how can a franchise icon with the NFL MVP and Super Bowl appearance on his resume be so abruptly cast aside? The Ringer NFL Show presents The Cam Chronicles. The series premieres Monday, July 13th. Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Coaster, Kevin Verno. What's going on this Tuesday morning, buddy? Well, we do have some news we are going to get to. We will also get to a mailbag today as we will be off on Friday as everybody in the Spotify family is going to be off at the end of the week uh, with the July 4th holiday right around the corner. Uh, That being said, Kevin, I did watch some basketball for the first time in a long time this weekend on Sunday night. The 2001 NBA Finals uh, were on. And I will say, like, during this whole quarantine thing, I have watched a lot of these old games. But my son was in the room with me, and we've, we we flipped on the game. It was a 2001 Game 1 of the NBA Finals with the 76ers and the Lakers. It's the Iverson stepping over Tyron Lue game. It's the one that the Sixers won that went to overtime. i tell you this. It was fun as hell to watch back. And... Somewhere along the way in the last 20 years, it has been lost that they won that game. Iverson went off. He stepped over Lou. But Eric Snow hit two of the absolute biggest shots you could hit in the NBA Finals in both regulation and overtime. That stood out. And then you will love this. The funniest part was there's a moment in, I think, the fourth quarter, and Shaquille O'Neal goes to the free throw line. And so there's a little downtime and they're talking about this and, and it flashes up on the screen. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal in game ones, uh, 38.17 rebounds per game. And my son looked at me, he goes, are those his stats? And I was like, <laughs> I said, yes, William, those are his stats. That is what he had averaged in game ones. And it was crazy to see like a little kid seeing that on TV. He's like, he averaged that in, Game ones in the playoffs? I was like, yes. 
He's unstoppable. He's unstoppable. It's 38 and 17, it said. And I'm like, come on. People and, forget Shaq was a bucket. Oh, my God. 38 points a game. And then the craziest was <laughs> Marv Albert and Doug Collins are on the call. And they are, It's I think it's 94, 94 at the end of regulation. You know Iverson's getting the ball. But they can't get him the ball because they're doubling him. So the Sixers bring it up the court. They get a wild shot off at the buzzer that not no, no chance of making, really. And uh, anyways, as they're coming out of the timeout, Marv Albert, and I'm just, look, it's a 2001 broadcast. I ain't going back and looking it up. But Marv Albert is like, Allen Iverson, who's been great tonight, has never had a game-winning shot in his career going all the way back to high school. And I was like, what the hell? Like, is that true? Like, I mean, it was so funny that I wanted, I almost wanted to go back and look up a stat to see if he was right. I mean, I'm just, I'm taking it for what it's worth. But if you, if, if anybody saw this or if it's ever on again and you see it, he does say that right before the last shot of the game. And I'm like, how is that possible? Allen Iverson had the ball in his hand. He's the best player on every team he played on from the time he was seven years old. <laughs> right? And he took 50 shots a game. Never hit a game winner, <laughs> at least until that point. According to Marvin Albert, I mean, I like know. you said, not, not about to look it up, but, you know, very interesting to hear that live on the broadcast. Uh, um, I'm glad you and your son watched an old yeah, game. it was that fun. That been a cool experience. Like, what well, did you talk to your son at all about, like, what he thought about how style has changed? About, or, like, right. Was that just not, not something that came up yet? I'll tell you, I'll tell you weirdly, as you are watching it, I don't think, I'll say this, obviously, I notice the lack of three-pointers taken and the difference in spacing. But, you know, Kobe gets the ball and goes. And Iverson gets the ball and goes. And so you see a lot of the star-level basketball that you see in the playoffs, right? Especially yeah. coming down the stretch. You still see that in, in the games now. I didn't see some kind of massive contrast. The biggest thing, is Shaq in there and Mutombo in there? You know, those two guys down there. And really, it's when the ball comes off the rim, it feels like now the ball goes the other way. And there are so many possessions where a miss does not mean your possession is over. I, I've never looked at the numbers on this, but it just yeah. feels, when you're watching it, it feels like there's a lot more offensive rebounds and the possessions last a lot sure. longer um, than they did. And look, I, that's almost 20 years ago, and obviously we don't have anything that looks like Shaq, but the Iverson thing, he's as electric as you could pop him in today's NBA and he'd be sure. as electric and athletic and he's doing the crossovers and, you know. You, you, the, the point you brought up about how, yeah. like, you just gave it to Iverson and he goes, you gave it to Kobe and he goes, that's the one misconception about the game today when it comes to shot distribution. Star players you know, the top volume guys still take just a, just as much mid-range jumpers late in the clock or even early in the clock as they ever did before. And uh, Seth Partnow at The Athletic wrote a great piece about that, I believe, last year, that the main change in shot distribution was to the role players. Big men don't take those 12-foot baseline jumpers anymore. Now they take corner threes or above the bake uh, above the break threes. It's the wings and the bigs that are, you know, secondary players that have changed the way they shoot. But star players, you know, whether it's like a a guy a second tier star like CJ McCollum or a first tier guy like Kawhi Leonard, 
those guys still pull up from anywhere they need to in order to generate a basket. So in that sense, like in the finals and playoff situations, we've seen this. We saw it with Kawhi last year with the Raptors. We saw it with KD and Warriors runs. We saw it, you know, not as much with Steph, but because he's so much of a three-point shooter, there's guys like him. But for the most part, a lot of guys still take mid-range jumpers if they're a superstar. Well, and here's the other thing, Kev. From watching all these games over the course of the past couple of months, just in the just wanting to watch basketball, um, 80s, 90s, 2000s, I've watched games from every era. The, the huge thing that stands out by a wide margin is there is just, there's, it's crowded. It is crowded from the free yep. throw line down. And it's not. It's not crowded now, right? You flip on a game now, it's not crowded. And there are always guys close to the paint in those games from all those eras. And you just don't, that, that's the biggest difference. There was never a time where Shaquille O'Neal's 10 feet away from the, even 10 <laughs> feet away from the basket. You know what I'm saying? It's just crowded. And there, there's not driving lanes like there was. It's this, it, not as much, uh, to me, I don't sit there and go, how many threes have they taken? I sit yeah. there and go, my God, where are you supposed to drive? It's so crowded. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there's no driving lanes. That's how so many three-pointers are generated anyways. Yep. They attack and get to the paint and then kick it out for a spot-up three-pointer. Right. It, it's drive and kick. That's so much of what the game is today. And so like when you're watching and your mind is going to where are the driving lanes, it's that yep. initial action today that creates so many of those shots. You don't just pass the ball around the perimeter, you know? That's well, not how those shots are created. And here's the other thing. Fours don't shoot. And if yeah. they do, it's like 15. It's like 15 feet. You know what I'm saying? No, it's like Carl, elbow jumpers, Carl Malone. baseline jumpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. Carl Malone elbow jumper. But like fours generally, they're not shooting, so they're by the basket too. You know what I mean? At power for, sure. for true power forward. And that's what every that was the archetype. That's what everybody wanted to have. Um, but it's been fun watching those old ones. In terms of news we got going on now, we're about a month away. In fact, I think we're exactly a month away today, aren't we? What, it is somehow. Yeah, somehow today's June, June 30th. 30th. It, it yeah. is somehow June 30th. All yeah. right. So we oh are boy. one month away, uh, assuming this all takes place in Orlando. We got some unfortunate news yesterday regarding the Brooklyn Nets. Spencer Dinwiddie confirmed uh, to have coronavirus, as was... DeAndre Jordan, um, Dinwiddie up in the air. Jordan has already said he is not going to be um, in Orlando when there is a return to play. You also had, uh, within since we last spoke, Wilson Chandler had opted out. And so we knew the Nets, it wasn't going to be some kind of uh, tough go if you had the Nets on your schedule. I think most of the teams there thought or marked it down as a probable win um, but then, you know, they're not going to have Durant. They're not going to have Kyrie. They're not going to have Jordan. They're not going to have mm -hmm. Wilson Chandler. I mean, that's a lot of rostered players that they are. I mean, who knows if Dinwiddie will play, but you know, they already had gotten rid of their coach and now their roster is just going to be a shell of themselves in Orlando. For sure. And for the Nets, like they might fall to that eight seed and Washington at the nine seed right now, they have to go at least six and two or better in order to, to qualify for a playing game against Brooklyn or Orlando. It's highly unlikely. However, I mean, there's always a chance. And the Nets are certainly depleted. And if they're not going to you know, fall to the eight seed and have a first-round date to the Bucs, uh, they're probably an easy out for Toronto 
or Boston, whoever ends up with the two seed. The one thing that's very interesting about Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan yesterday is each of them issued a statement in which they not so subtly blamed their return to New York City mm-hmm. for the reasons for their positive diagnosis. Dinwiddie said in his statement, originally, we were supposed to be one of the teams to enter into the Orlando bubble early, but training camp got switched back to New York, and unfortunately, I am now positive. And then DeAndre Jordan said in his tweet something very, very similar. Found out last night and confirmed again today that I've tested positive for COVID while being back in market. As a result of this, I will not be in Orlando for the resumption of the season. So both of them alluded to the fact that they had to go back to New York. And understandably so, in the sense that it's like, I'm assuming they were flying commercial. I mean, maybe they were on a private jet. I have no idea. But assuming they were flying commercial back, there's significant risk, man, being uh, you know trapped in a cylinder 20,000, 30,000 feet above the ground where everybody's breathing the same air. And to be clear, you know, the, the way airplanes work, I guess there's filters and whatnot that filter out the air every 30 seconds or whatever. Um, but like, if you're sitting next to somebody close quarters, you never know, you never know. Yep. And like, I, I can understand why uh, DJ and Dinwiddie would, would feel that way, you know, cause, cause it's true. Originally the nets were one of the teams that were advised to go to Florida early, like the Toronto Raptors were. Um, and, uh, and I, it could have still happened then there too. So it's, it's, it's like, yeah, if you get sick or you get a flu, you can't just blame one person. You could have got it right. from anywhere. Right. Uh, but it's understandable why those guys feel, you know, disappointed about, about their positive diagnosis like anybody would. And you know, they do because it can't be coincidence that both of them mentioned that specifically. Oh yeah. Right. No they mentioned it. the fact that they had to go back to Brooklyn so yep. it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks, and it honestly doesn't matter what the truth is, right? As much just the as the way they feel. Yeah, these yeah. two guys feel like, dude, if I wouldn't have to come back to Brooklyn, maybe I don't have this thing, mm-hmm. right? I should have been able to go straight to Orlando. And so they feel like that was a misstep, right? And that they're having to pay for that misstep. Um, so who knows what kind of team they are going to be able to field at all in Orlando uh, when there is the resumption of play. Their schedule was Orlando, Washington, at uh, Milwaukee, Boston, SAC, the Clippers, Orlando, Portland. I mean, if we're just being fair, the only one that they would even have a chance, uh, I think, of being favored in, maybe Orlando is a pick and Washington, they would be favored in. Every other game, they would be an underdog on this uh, of their eight that they were going to play. They would be an, they would absolutely, they would be an underdog to Milwaukee, Boston, SAC, the Clippers, and Portland, and a pick them at best against Orlando. So, I mean, it's, look, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it really, it, the point is, I don't know if it really matters what their, uh, what, the, what kind of roster they field, because even with, Dinwiddie and Jordan in the lineup, this team was going to be up against it. Now, the more fascinating thing is, okay, but they're pretty solidly playoffs. So what kind of team do you feel then? And that does matter because all of a sudden, you know, Milwaukee has a tougher go uh, than whoever's to Toronto right now. Um, Obviously, Boston would be greatly incentivized to get up to two. Yep. Um, 
to be able to like that Brooklyn team. That looks like the easiest team you could get in the first round right now. That's what I'd say. That's why it matters. Sure. Well, how close are they to Orlando? Could they drop? They're, I they're, guess they're a half game up on Orlando right now. Oh, then so they'll certain, pro- yeah. certainly could drop. And they'll like I said, the, yeah. the Wizards, they really need to get lucky. The Wizards have to get lucky. Like Brooklyn would have to go like, you know, one and seven or oh and eight. And Washington would have to go six and two despite having a really hard schedule to get into a playing tournament game against Brooklyn or Orlando. Uh so Brooklyn in all likelihood will be in the playoffs. Um, but the fact is is suddenly they're looking like quite an easy out in that first round for Milwaukee, Toronto, or Boston, depending on how the seeding, you know, plays out for the both of them. And, you know. A, a minor announcement here, uh, or maybe not minor, but like it's, it's exciting personally. Where uh, I'm hosting a, a new video series on the Ringer called "The Restart." And oh, it's going to be possibly a, a weekly video series as basketball resumes over the coming months, um, breaking down the game like we do here. Uh, you know, bringing on guests. You know, uh, people. I talked to David Griffin last week, and you know, have some stuff from him in this video that's coming out, I believe on Wednesday. So look out for that on the ringers YouTube channel. And anyway, I bring Wait, that this up Wednesday, all, all, this like Wednesday, tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's already Let's been re- go. recorded. Use, use this green screen and Let's all go. that, you know, that's behind me. Um, then I bring all that up to say part of the video is just about the playing tournament. And I allude to this in there. Like I don't get too in depth. The video is about the Pelicans mm-hmm. and their odds on their side of the bracket. But I allude to the fact that, like, for a lot of these teams, the seeding doesn't matter all that much. It just, it just doesn't. Yeah, I think for a lot of these teams, it's going to end up being like warm-up games, and that has value because these guys got to get back into basketball shape. But I do have concerns, man. You know, from the people I talk to in front offices, like if their team starts slow, they just might coast the rest of the way, and. And like I hate to harp on this, but like this is why I was so in favor of the group stage. It, it just the truth. The group stage right now, you have Brooklyn essentially locked into the playoffs. So Brooklyn's gonna be there for eight seeding games with a depleted roster and no chance of advancing. And then they have to be there for another two weeks for a meaningless ultimately. It's let's just be honest. Nobody's gonna want to watch Brooklyn versus Milwaukee. Nobody's gonna want to watch Brooklyn versus Toronto or Boston. It's gonna be easy. <laughs> like it's gonna be a four-game or five-game series. And if you're talking about excitement, if you're talking about like watching great basketball, I just don't think this format was the best choice. Um, you know, I, I understand why they did it, and I think there's benefits of seeing it happen. I think there's benefits of not doing such something so dramatic with the group stage. But part of me can't help but think that in the seeding game stage and then in the first round, like always in the first round, we're just going to see a lot of games that aren't that interesting. And, you know, maybe that's okay because this is sort of also a preseason. You know, you're balancing the two excitement and drama and, you know, high intensity game versus getting guys into, you know, physical shape to play basketball. Complicated conversation here, but from an entertainment standpoint, uh, you know, I bet there's gonna be a lot of games where it's like, eh, I'm not gonna bother tuning in. Really? See, because yeah, I, I think that well, you don't feel that way with Brooklyn. Well, like we well, just talked about, like their team, yeah, you know, but that, sucking but, out okay. a bunch of guys. Okay, I know, but we set them aside. Okay, we set okay, set them aside. Everybody that's further down than eight cares deeply about these games until yes. they until they might be out of it, right? But and. and 
you have one through eight that are still really fighting for seeding, and seeding is going to matter greatly, like especially for those teams that don't want to be seven and have to sure. face the Clippers. Um, yes. Now, it, on, it, in the and East— that, and that's, and for, I just want to like interject and say that's what I allude to like in the video. For like a team like Miami or Indiana, you want to avoid the Bucks side of the bracket. So what I'm saying is— or, or in the West, is like you, you want if you're OKC, you want to avoid the Lakers side of the bracket, possibly. But like for the Clippers— the two three the two seed which they currently have and the three seed the Nuggets, it doesn't make that dramatic of a difference between those two for the Clippers, considering the fact that like there's no real home court advantage at Disney World. If you drop from two to three or rise from three to two, it doesn't make the biggest difference in the world. I think that that's sort of where I it could I, I it do could on your it could on your first round matchup though, Kev. Depending on what happens at the bottom, That's what I'm though, and, that, and and that could be out of your control. Well, it, it well, be, hey, I, you'd feel differently if Houston six, wouldn't you? Sure, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then three matters. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think I think Brooklyn's really the only one. Orlando's now incentivized to win more so than they, they were. They already, they already were. I know. They already but were. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's not like they now really think. Okay, we're we we can move up, right? Um, and then. I, I just think it's a kind of a Brooklyn thing in terms of what's not going to matter. I think the rest of these, because there's only eight games to jockey this around, I think they will care. I think there's not going to be many games that don't matter. I mean, I guess we're just different on that. I mean, oh, no, no. I mean, it, it it could play out in a sense in a way that like these teams are going hard, and I hope I hope they are. I, I hope that happens. Um, but there's also a chance that like a lot of these teams start off 0-2, 0-3. They're automatically out because there's so few games left, and then it's just kind of like coasting yeah. the rest of the way for the final five games. And again, this is what the regular season is always like, and what they chose with this format best represents <laughs> what yeah. could have happened in a condensed way in the regular season where March and April oftentimes for a lot of teams just feels like a drag. And and like they stuck to what is tr- most authentic to what the season already was, and I'm cool with that. That's that's totally fine. But like, I guess just part of me still can't help but think there was a missed opportunity with the group stage format that we talked about before with uh, the 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 group round. Uh, I think it could have been pretty spectacular to see that. And besides, there's still going to be pl- like. I'm still stoked. Like, there's still plenty of great basketball that's going to be seen. The Western Conference race, which is what the video is primarily about, is going to be awesome. I'm excited to see your Memphis Grizzlies hold off Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, and Phoenix, the bright future Suns, getting an opportunity. <laughs> Tell me you saw my man Josh Jackson's tweet yesterday. I did not. What did oh, he say? Boy. Oh, boy. No, I'm sorry. It's an Instagram post. Uh, Josh Jackson. So Josh Jackson finally had had enough, and I've been there before. Um, he had had enough, and on a, on his Instagram post, somebody uh, sent to him, bro, we should have traded for Tatum or we could have had Fox. Uh, Josh Jackson, uh, but I loved you. You did, but what you did for us, I just wish you were more productive. Josh Jackson's response? Your entire organization is unproductive. Stop blaming twenty-year-old oh. kids for fifteen years of sucking. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He might be my hero. <laughs> he might be my hero now. I know Josh. Josh Jackson's been to hell and back. There is uh, the beginning of his career, and he's had his own problems off the court. But I did. I must say, 
That he, 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 um, he by, by the way, it was lost in all this. They, the, the, the Grizzlies didn't have like they had they had traded Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder. They didn't have wings. Um, Justice Winslow was hurt when this whole season ended. Josh Jackson was like the leading scorer of the team for the last week and a half. He had really just started to feel himself and really be in blossom uh, prior to all of this shutting down. But I did think it was funny. He said, "Stop blaming twenty year olds for your for twenty fifteen years of sucking." For sure, uh, and like I mean, like personal <laughs> responsibility, taking accountability matters. Understood. Like Jackson, part of it, you know, you know, stuff that happened in his past and in Phoenix. Part of that is on him, but situation matters, and we've talked about this a ton over the years. Situation, opportunity, environment that plays such a big role in the well, success and failures of players. And, and to your point, I will tell you that obviously when the schedule came out, I viewed this through the prism of, hey, can John Morant and them make it? Um, I was looking for three games. Can they? Are there three they can win? And I, obviously my answer was yes. They can win three because if you go three and five, you got to have two teams go like seven and one to jump you and for you to not even be in a play-in situation. And the truth is most of these teams have not performed at a at a level where they've gone six and two, seven and one at any portion of the season. That's why everybody's record is below 500 that's you know in this spot. The Pelicans certainly it looks like a schedule they could for sure go six and two with. You know, it and and obviously we'll see what happens with the Kings games, right? Like the Kings need to split with them if you're looking at it from the uh from the Grizzlies trying to hold off side. Um but it will be fun. No way around it, right? Like, I mean, I think that when you've got a three-and-a-half game lead, you just got to be able to win three or four. Like, you don't have to win five or six. You got to be able to win three or four. Um, and so, and the other thing is this, if I'm being fair, the the last game of the season, that's the Bucks. A, they'll be locked in. B, Taylor Jenkins was just the lead assistant for – Budenholzer. If anybody was ever going to do you a solid, like I'd be mad if you didn't do me a solid. On the, right? <laughs> They're friends. You know what I mean? On the last game of the season, you got to think Bud would help his guy out. So I was yeah. happy that that was the last game, you know, that's on the schedule because it, the end of it is brutal. But anyway, it, you're right. Um, that end of the season, I thought the Pelicans thing was light, which is fair well, because the end by, of their by the schedule way, like, was what's, light. What's, what you're saying is kind of my point too you know milwaukee there's going to be a lot of games where they're like yeah yeah let's play 25 minutes play 20 minutes or don't play at all and that might be that last game where he takes that dnp you know take it off take it off but again that's what (laughs) what would have happened during the regular season anyway if that was the season finale yeah you know that's right and the pelicans i thought look generally i thought the nba did a very good job replicating it is only eight games but replicating what you had left the Grizzlies yeah. had a very difficult schedule left, and their schedule is difficult in Orlando. The Pelicans had a very easy schedule left, and their schedule is very easy. As easy as it can be when you're when you're not taking the Knicks and the Cavs down there, right? I thought it I thought they did a very good job of, you know, replicating what would have happened, even though it is less games. And so looking at the schedules that came up, I just got excited looking at all those games and and thinking about them all happening. And I do think that Western Conference playoff race could be fantastic. It it could be epic. It could be epic. And this is the value of the play-in tournament. More teams 
have a chance. More teams, you know, have something to play for. More fans have something to root for. And if you're able to install a playing tournament permanently in the future, this is the type of atmosphere you could have every single year with more teams that aren't out of it. In a normal year, like March and April could be like what we're going to see for these teams in the playoff bubble. And I'm, I'm excited to see how it's going to work out. You know, there's going to be a handful of games where like teams might not have to win or have incentive to play. But there's going to be a lot of them where well, it's going to feel like the playoffs. And there's been so much focus on the Pelicans because Zion and there was already going to be people out there that said, oh, how's the NBA going to get Zion into the playoffs? What we can't for- Hey, what we can't forget, well, they would like to have him there. Of course. No, of course. No I know, but it's, si- it's right. silly to say like that's the number one. I th- I think it's silly to say that's the number one reason. Oh, it's uh, not I, the I number one reason, but they the, want the number to get one re- the number one reason to get more teams is more money. Yes. Like, let's just be real here. Well, and, you know, aside from Zion, and, and the truth is, we're this guy. Like, who's getting overlooked in this is Portland, because Portland's going to have Collins and Nurkic back, and Portland they could look like a, a different team than what we got to see this season. I mean, that team was demolished by injury. And I know they've had, you know, Ariza sitting out and whatever, but I mean, you got Dave McCollum and you're adding those guys that are a massive part of what made that team a Western Conference Finals team last year. Portland can't be overlooked, and they have also shown the ability over the last several years to be able to go on a run, you know, and go nine and one, go eight and one. This Pelicans team, if they do it, it will be the first time they've done it. They have not shown, even once they've gotten Zion back, they've been about a, you know, they haven't been, much over 500. Um, I will say this, and this is one of the points made in the video. This is essentially a mini camp, you know, training camp for the Pelicans to install yep. some new stuff that they weren't able to do during the regular season when there's no practice time, no downtime, and you're integrating. Look, they had the most games missed due to injury at one point during the season. And it wasn't just Zion. It was Lonzo Ball who dealt with injuries. It was Derek Favors who dealt with injuries. Ingram. I mean, they had a lot of guys that were coming in and out of the lineup. And this is a time where they can kind of get things set. And I look at that. I look at what Zion did in his first 19 games and think about what he can do with more chemistry and more opportunity to get into some of the stuff that they did in preseason that they weren't able to do as much during the regular season with getting him going on some cuts and handoffs going towards the rim. There's certain things like Gentry kind of left to the side after so much time away. I look at that, and then I look at Portland's schedule. They have a lot of games against teams that have an incentive to win. Boston, Houston, Denver, Philly, Dallas. I mean, there's a lot of teams on their schedule that have reason to win games. And maybe you get the Clippers on a night in which Kawhi's playing his 35 minutes or something like that to really get himself up to shape. And then Brooklyn, I mean, that we just talked about how they struggle. But the fact is, is that, you know, that last game, maybe it ends up being an important one for them. Who really knows? Like, but we just you know don't this. know there. You, we do know this. There is a difference between playing a game and caring a lot for seeding. And playing a lot because if you don't win, you're not going to get to keep playing. Oh, no doubt. You know what I'm saying? And so you face the Pelicans, you face the Blazers, you're going to be up against it. I mean, I would imagine you're going to get home run effort after home run effort from those teams that are because they want to be in the playoffs. And speaking of Portland, congratulations to Dame Lillard, who has uh, certainly vaulted himself into superstardom over the last couple of years um, in a way that he had not even been acknowledged before. 
um, because of his playoff exploits, their long run in the playoffs. He is, there's going to be three uh, teams in the, or three different covers of NBA 2K21. And it was announced this morning, Damian Lillard is one of them, which is massive amongst young fans. Um, also a 2K story that was broken by Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Zach Lowe, and Ramona Shelburne, that one of the one of the major parts about the NBA going to Orlando was the opportunity for them to participate in activism in a big way. And we had even talked about the Mark Spears article where one of the things he brought up that I thought was very good was changing all the stuff in 2K to mimic what's going on in Orlando because you are getting in front of millions of eyeballs and kids uh, when you do that. But they are going to have Black Lives Matter on both the sidelines of all three arenas. So it is a it is a message that will be absolutely undeniable um, to anybody that is taking in any of these games. It doesn't matter what court they're on. It doesn't matter what time of day. It doesn't matter the teams. That is going to be installed on the courts as well as teams are, or you know, players are going to be able to put a message on the back of their jersey in lieu of their last name if they want to. And so I do think that that was... It's a major story in terms of, hey, there, there was a level of nervousness, at least by some, in the NBA that if we're going to be doing this, we want to be able to use this platform for good and to get the message out about what we care about so deeply. I mean, it seems like they are certainly going to be able to do that in two very significant ways already. And, and I'm sure we don't know about everything that will end up taking place. It's a good start. Yep. Uh, it can't just be this. Like Avery Bradley said in his interview with ESPN a couple of weeks ago, it can't just be T-shirts, you know, can't just be social media posts and all that. Um, but it's a great start that this messaging will be in your face. I was told a, a, a couple of weeks back that you're not going to be able to watch an NBA game without hearing the message from players and from the league, and that is becoming more and more apparent. And my understanding is that for players, when it comes to direct messaging on direct specific issues uh that that's something that those conversations will really escalate as people get to orlando um when people are able to be in person together you know social distancing you know considering that uh that that's when those conversations are going to happen with like what do we do to send a direct message that affects policy and i'm encouraged that we're seeing the wheels turning with some of the, the things that are going to be, you know, about messaging to people. Um, I'm encouraged to see the Atlanta Hawks open up their arena uh, for voting in Georgia. It's going to be the, be the biggest, big, the biggest voting site in it, in Atlanta. Um, this stuff is, is really encouraging and, and I'm hopeful that the player is able to, to get a targeted message to improve policy uh, in America and around the world. Um, because that that's ultimately going to be the, one of the big big steps here for us as a society to make things better. Um, doing it and not just talking about it, and that gonna, that's going to require a lot of collaboration with people in power. It's going to require um, continued strong push from us, from people. Um, and I, I'm 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 hopeful. I'm, I am hopeful. I can't help but feel hopeful that that we're going to come out of this year with some positive change for people around the world. And it uh, seems like the NBA could potentially be a big part of that. Hey, Chris, before we get to today's mailbag, let's take a quick break to hear about a new podcast from the ringer and Bakari sellers. 
so excited to introduce the Bakari Sellers podcast in partnership with The Ringer. We're tackling the issues of the day through interviews with high profile guests and conversations with a rotating panel of the country's best and leading thinkers, influencers and writers. You know, I'm not only an attorney and a former elected official, sometimes you see me on CNN and I'm a new author of a New York Times bestselling book, My Vanishing Country. But now we're introducing the Bakari Sellers podcast and we're gonna cover everything from the 2020 election to sports and culture to the larger movement for racial equality in the United States. We're gonna have some of your favorite quarterbacks, some of your favorite politicians, some of your favorite athletes, writers, singers, actors, actresses. The Bakari Sellers podcast will debut on Monday, June 29th. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Bobby Wagner is our all-star producer. All right, we are going to try to knock out some of the mailbag questions today because we're not going to have a show later this week. And so hopefully this show is so great that when you miss the show on Friday, you can just listen to it again. Yes, I like that idea. I <laughs> really you can, like that or, idea, or just keep viewing uh, Kevin's video that he's putting out tomorrow ah, millions yeah. of times. Well, not millions, because then he'll get a big head and leave me. So thousands of times, <laughs> tens of times. How about, how about hundreds of thousands of hundreds, times? Uh, oh, God. All right. Uh, what I do like we got, that. Bobby? Maybe with that extra time, everyone can go back and find some old takes that you guys had and bring no. them back to the mailbag next week. Are you no? serious? <laughs> I, I like that idea, too, Bobby. Oh, like right. Yeah, go back to I'll, old pods from 2018. Yeah. All right. This first question comes from Ed. Ed with two Ds. At some point, you guys are going to have to have a discussion on Coach of the Year Award. Mike Budenholzer won it last year, and that was the second time he's won it. With only eight regular season games remaining, I wanted to ask, what's your current take on this? Nick Nurse. I agree. Nick Nurse. Losing Kawhi Leonard and continuing to win and play at a high level, playing the amount of weird, funky defenses that they have, and and having it work, going with zones, you know, one, two, two zones, you know, playing box and one. I mean, like this guy, what a coach. It, 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 it's amazing, like how he had this journey to become the coach that he has, you know, coaching at so many different levels, so many different places around the world. And it it's all come together to make, in my opinion, was the best coach in basketball right now. And he's shown that this season. We agree. I do hope in the attempt to not be a total homer, I do think that if, if the Grizzlies do make the playoffs, Taylor Jenkins should get votes. He absolutely should. I mean, I've watched it firsthand, but that team was expected to win the least amount of games in the NBA. If they become a playoff team, like the guy should get, he should get a look. But I agree with you for Nick Nurse. All right, here's a question from Asher. Chad Ford mentioned on his podcast the best pre-draft workout he'd ever seen was Dame Lillard. He described the ferocity, intensity, and flat-out determination combined with skills and athleticism in this workout caused him to jump in the draft. You were mentioned as being in attendance, Kevin. Was this the best workout you've seen pre-draft? And if not, can you describe another memorable one? I was uh, at Damian Lillard? Yeah. Pre-drafts? I was not at Damian Fake Lillard's news. No, no, Fake news. No, I was not. Fake news. <laughs> I was not there. <laughs> I, never saw, I never saw Lillard. That's funny. The best one I ever saw was Kevin Love. Oh, Kevin Love. They, look, they put him... They put him back at the end. Now, Kevin Love was big 
when he was coming out of college. But I'll never forget. They they gave him, they put him out at the three-point line, and the guy hit like 20 of 25 NBA threes. It's unbelievable. And then, how about this? In the workout with him, these are the other guys. Uh, Joey Dorsey, who had played center at Memphis, JaVal McGee, DeAndre Jordan, and there was one other guy, big guy. And they ran this drill where they threw it into you at the, like at the elbow, right? And you had to go get a bucket against a guy. And if you got a bucket, you stayed out there. And if you, if you got stopped, then you got in the line. And the guy that got the stop then got to go on offense, right? Kevin Love went through these guys six, seven times. Every time with a different move. It was like watching, damn, Kevin McHale. I had never seen anything like it in my life. He, he scored, and they were all way bigger and more athletic than him. All of it. And he was just, I mean, in the post, and then they put him out at the three-point line. I was like, this guy, this is un- unbelievable. I can't believe what I'm watching. Was Kevin O'Connor at the workout? <laughs> he was. Kevin O'Connor was there. <laughs> uh, you know what? I wonder if Chad had said Kevin O'Connor, like the former Utah Jazz executive. Oh, uh, that's, that's what it, what was. it was. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. That, well, no, uh, that would make sense because Weber State's in Utah, isn't it? So it stand the reason that 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 Kevin O'Connor from the Jazz would be there, <laughs> right? You know, I, I might have told the story before, but a couple of years ago, I think after right after I got hired by the Ringer, I put in an application with the NBA to get a media credential for practices. And when the credential came in the mail, they had a photo of Kevin O'Connor, no. that Jazz executive. <laughs> oh, that's great! I, I have it somewhere. I think it's at my apartment in LA. But uh, yeah, pretty hilarious. You so should have called gonna... around trying to make trades and crap. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've always wondered: has anybody like ever called me or texted me thinking I'm that Kevin O'Connor? But I don't think that's ever happened. But the, that's the your NBA fast track to be aspect. the new Woj. <laughs> People accidentally texted hey, me trying it's to make Kevin trades. Utah, old buddy, old pal. <laughs> I'll have to watch some interviews with him and try to get his get his uh, voice do an impression right. All right, what we got for the next one, Bobby? Okay, here this one comes from Micah. The NBA's Disney memo rules about ping pong made me wonder: what's a game you're good at and a game you're really bad at? I'm good at Call of Duty Warzone. Does that count as a game? Sure. Does that count? Okay, I, I had a. I guess a game is just something you can play with someone else, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I have gotten good at this game after a slow start, after years away from playing video games and not owning a console. I'm happy with my production level now. Um, I love using the helicopter in Warzone and get wiping people out like that. I had a triple kill team wipe the other day. The video didn't capture, unfortunately. I'm still pissed about that, but I'm going to put together a helicopter highlight video at some point. Um, and I'm good uh, with our primary weapons as well in that game, too, and love our squad. Are you more of a Larry Nance or a Brandon Clark in Call of Duty? Uh, <laughs> I would say more of a, a Brandon Clark. Uh, more of a Brandon Clark. I'm trying to think of I'd assume that the lines he's going upon is like a game that you would be able to do at like this quarantine. Um Ping pong. I'm good at ping pong. I, dom- I dominate you at ping pong. Um, video game wise, the only thing that I've spent an inordinate amount of time playing is Hot Shots Golf, or it's called Everybody's Golf now on PlayStation 4. It changed I, the name? Yeah. Everybody's Golf? Yeah, it's called Everybody's Golf, but it's the same thing. Hot Shots Golf. But I've, I've played Hot Shots Golf since it first came out. One, two, three, four, F O R E. Um, and then, yeah, this everybody's golf. 
Um, I'm good at that. So, I mean, like that video game, I'm okay at like the 2K, Madden's, those. I can play them. I'm good at Madden. I've always sucked at 2K, man. Yeah. My whole life, dude. I always have stunk. I'm okay. I don't know why. I'm not good, good. I'm okay. I mean, I could play. Um, I wish we had cross console abilities with 2K because I'd love to face you. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'm is on there Xbox any- and you're on PS4. Is there anything else that is, uh, I mean, look, let's be honest. Those guys, they're going to be playing video games and cards. Yeah. That's I was going to say, are you guys good at cards? I mean, I don't, I don't play what they play. Players play Boo Ray. They play Boo Ray, Spades, you know, mostly, mostly those. And I, I don't, I don't play those. You know, I used to think I was good at chess. But when I was a little kid, I used to play with my grandpa staying over his house every every Wednesday afternoon when oh. both my parents were working. And oh. like he, and I used to think I was good. You're not. And <laughs> I'm not good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realized that in recent years. There's a oh, lot no. that, I, that I didn't know. Uh, and it really like it, it was an example to me personally, how, like how like there's certain people who are like the best basketball player at their high school or they're like their, their junior high or whatever. And they think they're hot. Or like someone's the best guitar player oh, in their yeah. small little town. They don't realize like that. <laughs> there's a lot of people surrounding them that are much much better or just as good. Uh, and like with chess, I think I really only ever faced my grandpa in my whole life when I was a, a young kid, um, and then didn't play for years. And then played like online some of those games, and then yep. played someone uh, at the I think it was a Sloan Sports and Linux conference. I faced somebody who was in the tennis there, and I got owned. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm actually not good. <laughs> I'm horrible at chess. It's like that saying, like, <laughs> some people are playing checkers and other people are playing That's chess. Right. It's like some people yeah. are playing chess and some people are really playing That's chess. Right. You know? <laughs> he is not Bobby Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else we got, Bobby? All right, this one comes from Pearson. I think this one has an easy answer, but it's an interesting question nonetheless. Uh, would you be more surprised if all of the next 10 MVPs are foreign-born players or if none of the next 10 MVPs are foreign-born players? So since Giannis is probably going to win this year, let's just say throw out this year and start with 2021. Uh, I'd probably be more surprised if none of them were. Oh no! Come players. on, what? Then all of them? Every single one of them for ten years? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, if if it's all all of them, yeah, sure. I don't I mean, know. Man. This, this is a hard question. Well, but, but think about the guys, the MVP level ones that we have right now. Right, not assuming, uh, not not assuming this upcoming draft. Right, you'd say for sure, Luca, Giannis, Embiid. Is there anybody else that? And again, I'm I'm doing this on the fly. Is there anybody else that is a foreign-born player that you think could win an MVP one day? No, probably not. Of those guys, you, you listed them of the guys that are in the league right now. But I, I. I it's also very hard to believe that none of them would win at least just once. But but again, it's a lot more plausible that three guys don't do something than the whole rest of the league doesn't uh, yeah, do something. I, I mean, you're right. right. I like, mean, it's it's it, either way, <laughs> either way. But like the fact is, is like to the point of the original question, it goes to show the amount of great players in the league that there are oh, and, that and, you can even have that conversation. And let me throw in a couple of more because I know I'll get hammered for this uh, if I don't. Other ones, I think, again, long shots, but we got it. We'll at least include them. Siakam, uh, Jokic is another foreign-born player uh, that you could foresee. I mean, if you want to throw Porzingis, 
in there. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think that. I, I think. I think that's the list. But if I forgot somebody, um, I know I'll get jumped for it. But I mean, Go Bears not winning an MVP. Narkic isn't winning an MVP. Is there anyone coming in, Kevin? In his guy, the, the, the number one pick, he said, is a uh, foreign board. Oh, in my, his opinion, my, my number one prospect, yeah, Killian Hayes. Yeah, yeah. Killian Hayes. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily project him as a future MVP, but uh, a, a potential very good high end player, great player for sure. Uh, Killian Hayes in this year's draft, uh, and I wouldn't also rule out Denny Abdia from Maccabi Tel Aviv being a really high level player. He revised his shooting mechanics and thus far with Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, resuming play, the shot looks better in games, Uh, shooting better from the free throw line on a small sample as well. And that was the number one question I had with Denny. How can he shoot? And it looks good. And I, I did on purpose leave out your guy, Dragon Bender. I didn't include him. Thank you. I Thank know. you for making oh, me Oh, by the way, hey, I, I need to give you a quick congratulations, though. Unbelievable last 48 hours for Justin Anderson Island. Yes, you're right. We did he's mention back. he's back. He's back. I saw that he got signed. I said, oh, Justin Anderson Island, back open for business. Everything else in the world shut down or going to be shutting down. Justin Anderson Island opened up for business. Yeah. And it's just you and him, and you can both wear masks. Yeah, that's okay. We can <laughs> like easily social, socially distance. <laughs> All right, Bobby, what's next? All right, Yaren wants to know which player from the last four drafts who hasn't broken through yet might do it next season. Is there a guy you're still holding out hope for? Maybe not Justin Anderson, but somebody else? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, I mean, last like you mentioned... four drafts? You that mentioned I re- ja- Jackson earlier. That's one guy who comes to mind definitely for you, right, Chris? Uh, I, I don't think that his destiny is to be a star. You know what I'm saying? Which is what you would expect from the third pick in the draft. But it, could he have a longer, more productive career than it appeared he was going to have while he's playing in the G League in Mississippi six months ago? Yes. Right? I think he could, I think he could straighten out and then have a, a career. You know how what I mean? Uh, how about Denzel Valentine? Oh, that's a good one. Started his career really struggling, but then he had an injury when he had a good second year with the Bulls. I feel like there's still something there with the opportunities he gets, uh, like a lot of garbage time, but occasionally in competitive moments of games, he's looked better this season. I, I, I think there's something there. He was a late bloomer at Michigan State, a late bloomer in high school, and maybe he'll be a late bloomer in the NBA too. I, I, I still like his game. I had, uh, you know, I, I love Malik Beasley. And he got on a new team, and he was killing it for the T-Wolves, right? He finally got the opportunity. I mean, he was just in a, you know, I, I don't think he was in a bad spot for his development. I do think he was in a bad spot in terms of getting court time because he was just, he was on a team that already had, um, it, it, they, they already had Gary Harris, and they already had Jamal Murray um, as guys that I know that they could get, he, a lot of his, his big minute games were when somebody was injured. And he always performed well generally for uh for Denver and then struggled at the beginning of this season but then he was he was lighting it up for Minnesota before this thing got shut down so i mean i've still got i've still got Malik Beasley stock i think that he could be oh no I, doubt yeah I, but i mean i could see him breaking out and becoming a big time player um 
I like I like him quite a bit. So Malik Beasley comes to my mind. Mo Bamba, I mean, another one for me. I really liked Bamba in the draft. I, I overrated him a little bit by ranking him ahead of your guy, Jaron Jackson. But what do you what's what's your face? Chris's face right now is like looking out the window. Either he hears something or he's just like wondering what I'm saying. I'm not totally sure Mo, right Mo now. Bamba. Yeah, he looks very disappointed and very confused. Okay, good. Then I'm gonna then I'm gonna hit you with another one. And he may break out when they're in Orlando, but I still have every bit of my stock. I have taken heat for it, but I know that there are going to be people that come back and apologize to me greatly. In fact, they are going to be groveling. <laughs> but the answer is Marvin Bagley. He's gotten the first two seasons ruined by injury. When he has played, he's been very good. And he hasn't gotten a lot of minutes. He has gotten much less, many less <laughs> Let's minutes. Let's be in his careful beard. with very good. Let's be careful here. Marvin Bagley will be an all-star, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but let's be careful with very good when he's been playing. He has not been very good. Yes, he has. He's he's been a, he's been a sieve on the defensive end of the floor. Oh god, he's not scored efficiently at, at all. Good grief. More turnovers than assists. Like let's let's be careful here. I never said Mobamba has been very good. Bamba has struggled, but he's also, like you mentioned, situation been sharing minutes with Vucevic and Kim Birch and Aaron Gordon, a bunch of guys like Markel Fultz who can't space the floor. Bamba should be a rim running five, a big body who protects the rim, who rolls to the rim, who picks and pops for threes. He has not gotten that opportunity to do that in Orlando. And despite that, he's done okay this season. There's been, you know, effort, you know, problems here and there, but. It's been solid in 15 minutes per game. Solid. Next. I'll take <laughs> <laughs> Mo Bamba. All right. Here's a good Marvin follow-up. Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley. Here's a good follow-up from Josh. In your opinion, <laughs> who is the most underachieving NBA player of all time? Jeff Green. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you like took no time? <laughs> Like you had an immediate answer <laughs> within two seconds. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think anything else is going to come to mind after thinking more about it. I'm sure there's plenty. Jeez, I mean, that seems like Michael, something Michael, that that take Michael a bit Beasley, of thought. Is that another one? I was Michael about to Beasley. say Mo Bamba. <laughs> uh-uh. In a couple of years, we might be saying Marvin Bagley. We'll uh, see. Underachieving. So it has to be somebody that I really thought either was awesome or was going to be awesome that just never, never got there. Yeah, and, and so, didn't really get hurt, you know? Yeah, because the hurt thing is... It's not that they got it. Yeah, it's you, just bad luck. Yeah, you got to give them a... You got to give them a little bit of a break if they got hurt. That's not necessarily fair. Um, so I got to think of somebody that I thought was going to be really, really good but then just didn't end up being really, really good. Um, like, like an Eddie Curry, maybe somebody like him. I mean, Eddie Curry was a, that's a, it's a weird spot because he was he was coming out of high school, and so usually my strong opinions at that like back then it would have been about guys that I'd seen, like college guys that I ended up seeing, um, and then it just didn't end up panning out for them. So somebody that was like. Somebody I I saw in college, and I thought they were going to be really good, but then it just it just didn't take for whatever reason. 
I got another one. What about like uh, a a guy who was a good player, but you saw the talent to be a great or an amazing player, like a Stephon Marbury? Uh, you know, for a long number, a long list of reasons, you know, he he never reached that point. Um, but Marbury is another guy who comes to mind that like maybe he could have been more um, if he were a bit different uh, personality wise, and if the situations had been a bit different for him as well. I think that's probably fair. I mean, he. Look, he made more money losing more games than anyone in NBA history. That's true. Mm, I mean, you you can look up the article. He made more money and lost more games than anyone ever. It's truly unbelievable. I mean, and he made an absolute fortune. He just played played on losing team after losing team after losing team. Oh, I'll give you one. OJ Mayo. 100%. 100%. Uh, that's a good one. And after, uh, look, I I was there his rookie year. He averaged over, tw- like, tw- he averaged like 20 points a game. And go look at the percentages. The percentages were great. It wasn't like it was inefficient. I thought he was on his way to stardom, for sure. And not only did it not go the right way, he ended up, you know, out of the league. You know, he played the, 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 the year in Dallas, and then he went and played in Milwaukee. He was gone after his first contract, first four years out of Memphis, even though he was part of winning his last year um, on the team. But I would say, yes, I, I would say him. I mean, and they tried to trade him. They tried to trade him before he was ever gone. Do you want to hear the craziest story? Here's a good one. Because I don't think people generally know this. So it's a trade deadline of, I think, his last year here, I think. So at that point, they probably know we're not keeping him in the offseason. They trade him. I'm doing a show on the radio, and I get the text. He's been traded. He got traded for Josh McRoberts and the Indiana pick, okay? So he gets traded, so it's all reported. He's done, right? They don't get the fact. They send the facts in at like 301, 302. The facts doesn't get in on time. So though it's all reported, it's everywhere. McRoberts in the pick for OJ Mayo. They go and they have to tell OJ Mayo, actually, he hasn't been traded. So because they got, it was just incompetence. They got all of the, like that, they got Chris Wallace and the team. They got everybody, uh, you know, the, the, the trades out there. They're making the trade. They turn the facts in late. So the trade gets nixed by the NBA. Now, you want to hear the craziest part of this story? Fast forward. It was Josh McRoberts in a pick, right? That's what I told you. For O.J. Mayo? Guess who the pick was? Who Kawhi Leonard. Oh. It was the 15th pick in the draft. Oh. That's true. That was the pick. The that 15th hurts. pick in the draft. You believe that? Well, I would have lost my mind for them trading OJ for Josh McRoberts and a pick. I was mad. I was mad about that. And then, in retrospect, you look at it you're like, damn, man, I'd rather have Josh McRoberts and a pick. If I'd have known it was going to be Kawhi Leonard, they wouldn't have taken Kawhi Leonard anyway. I mean, they didn't make one. They didn't make, you never, you never know. What are you, you talking about? Know, but probably not. They yeah. didn't make a good draft pick between Mike Conley and John Moran. It was over a decade. It was over a decade. They didn't have a player play past his first contract from Mike Conley to John Moran. Look it up. It's it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. 
But yeah, that was that pick. It's insane. But OJ's my answer. I thought OJ was on the track. I just saw somebody sent me a video of him last week. He's playing again. I like OJ too. I really like OJ Mayo. Like scoring talent. I mean, he's highly touted high school prospect. And you know, eventually when he got to the NBA, I'm like, this guy's gonna be really good for a long time. It's unfortunate, man. All right. Give us a couple more, Bobby. All right, let's do just one this one last one. All right. This one comes from Jack. My question is, why do you think that people are making a really big deal about Kawhi winning three championships with three teams like it's a huge accomplishment, which, to be fair, it is, but nobody mentions that with LeBron. If he wins with the Lakers, it's three championships with three teams, too. Is it more impressive since Kawhi only went to Toronto for one year? No, I I, I mention that all the time. Personally, I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but you know, I understand the argument when people say it's more impressive, you know, I believe it was Jackie McMullen said this on the jump that it's more impressive for Michael Jordan to do it with the same team in the manner that he did than to do it with three different teams. I I, I get it, but I I disagree in the sense that whether it's LeBron or whether it's Kawhi, if you're able to do it with different organizations, drastically different supporting cast. And in the case of LeBron, basketball has changed so much the last you know 10 plus years if you're able to do it with different against different styles of play that to me is a remarkable remarkable achievement for any player if they're able to do it considering those circumstances Kawhi or LeBron I would say the reason it's more impressive and this is where you get popped for being the best guy the most famous guy right is that nobody thought that Kawhi could win the title in Toronto nobody Nobody thought that was going to happen last year, especially against the Warriors. Nobody saw that coming, right? That he was going to be the best guy on a title team. He went to Toronto and he won the title. And the Clippers are one of the favorites, but certainly LeBron is the favorite, right? So Kawhi would have done it in three circumstances in which he was not supposed to have done it. And I think that's why it's viewed differently, right? I mean, that's the... That's the problem with being the best guy, right? Is like anything other than you winning the whole thing is, you know, like you didn't live up to expectation. Whereas Kawhi's gotten, he gets the benefit of his, he will have won as an underdog every time. Unless, of course, I, I think they'd be an underdog to Milwaukee. It, I think they would. So he's won as an underdog, you know, when he's done it. Um, Big underdog. Big underdog. So I think that's why it's viewed differently. You know, LeBron's never been an underdog. In, I guess he was with the Warriors. Um, the year, certainly, once they came back from 3-1. But I don't know. I think that's the difference. You know? And people don't poke holes in Kawhi like they do LeBron. Of course. Right? That's, I, I, I think that's my answer. It's interesting to think about what might have happened if LeBron came back to Cleveland on a one-year deal last year. Because the Warriors guys got hurt, so he would have just, in theory, had to go through Toronto to make it to the finals. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, if they might have got hurt in the finals, I think LeBron on Cleveland definitely could have handled just, you know, just one of those Warriors stars. I think that's probably true. Oh well, Kevin, Bobby, you guys uh, enjoy this week. Enjoy your holiday weekend, uh, and then we were going to talk to everybody next Tuesday. Uh, If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review. Five stars, five stars really helps. And we will talk to you next week.